0: The question to ask, what's the ROI of that LinkedIn post from two weeks ago that we posted on Tuesday morning? is nonsensical welcome back to the founder marketing show where we talk about how to create awareness build trust generate demand and drive efficient growth for your b2b software startup all right so b2b versus b2c i think is a big topic people love making that comparison i think a lot of comparisons are bullshit um, because clearly b2b and b2c are very different we're talking very different customer profiles we're talking very different price points we're talking very different sales cycles you know if you're selling b2b you have buying centers you have buying committees you have to have all kinds of things going on that doesn't apply in b2c so it makes sense that there's these two distinction um but i think b2c because there is a shorter consideration cycle people purchase faster i feel like b2c can experiment faster right because if you're running an experiment a different type of ad a different type of strategy you can see much faster whether it's working in b2b you might need to wait a full sales cycle to really tell whether it's working, which might be six months. It might be 12 months. So I feel like B2C is just innovating generally faster. And then B2B can adapt to to some of the things that work in B2C, not all of them. So we want to dive into a couple of them, uh, lessons from BMW, from Olive Garden, and a local shoe store in Berlin. And hopefully, it's valuable. And I have Toby here with us, uh, with me, who is our Director of Demand gen, So we prepped a couple of topics. And he will kind of navigate the conversation. And and we try to do it in this kind of interactive way, which is hopefully more interesting than just me monologuing for I don't know how long. So we'll try this out. And again, if you guys have questions, comments, thoughts, just raise your hand, and we'll try to just organically incorporate it into the conversation.
1: Let's start with BMW, I guess. Um, If you look at big car manufacturers, like everybody knows no one will buy a $50,000 car from seeing one billboard ad. But yet they still put them up anyway. Why is that? And and what can B2B learn from that approach? If we look at like car makers, whether it's
0: BMW, Mercedes, uh, I don't know, Tesla, right, they're B2C, but the price point is much closer to B2B, right? I mean, this is like ticket sizes, like, I don't know, 10k, 20k, 50k, 100 k depending on what car you're buying. So these are big decisions for people. It's not an impulse purchase where you see like a cool little gadget on Instagram, and then you go ahead and you just buy it right at that moment. Like people really think about that decision. BMW and all all the car makers obviously run billboard ads. We've all seen them. But does BMW ask, I want to know whether this exact billboard that we put up in this exact location... Is returning an ROI. I want to know how many people purchased a car because of this billboard. And if we cannot track that, then it's not working and we should cut the strategy. And they're clearly not doing it. So we can dive into why, but it's interesting because we work with a lot of B2B companies and we do a lot of LinkedIn content. And it is a very regular discussion that companies want to know how did this One LinkedIn post that we posted on Wednesday at 2 p.m. last week. How many prospects, deals, customers, demos did that one post generate? And we want to know whether that post is ROI positive. And if it's not, then we need to cut the strategy because clearly it's not working. And so I think the reason why BMW runs billboard ads, even though they know that no one buys a car because they saw one billboard ad, they keep running it because they understand a couple of things. One, they understand that these are long consideration cycles, just as in B2B, and that it takes a lot of touch points for someone to be comfortable to buy your car rather than someone else's. And it's not necessarily that one billboard at that street corner that did the job. It's the accumulation of the presence and, and all the marketing and touch points that eventually move someone to say, you know what, I, I would really like a BMW instead of a Mercedes. They understand the importance of, of occupying mind space in their customers' mind, which is just to say that if you only start marketing to a person at the time that they decide, I need to buy a car, you're way too late, right? Because by that time, they already have preferences. They already have a favorite brand. They've already seen lots of things. They've already have friends with conversations and talked about things. So if you start marketing to them at that point, it's way too late. So you need to start marketing way before that point. And you need to stay top of mind so that by the time that someone says, all right, it's time to get a new car, whatever the trigger is, their current car broke down. They just had a new kid and now they need a bigger car. There's some buying trigger that at that moment, you already occupy mind space. And you do that by being present, not just on billboards. They also run TV ads. They also run, you know, cinema pre-rolls. They're also on Instagram and on Facebook and all the social media platforms. And they understand the importance of controlling the narrative, right? Because if BMW is not out there positioning themselves and communicating with people how they want to be perceived and how they want to the world to perceive their car and their brand and their products then someone else will so they want to be proactive and you do that again not through one billboard in one location you do that through an accumulation of things and so i think the same applies to b2b marketing where the question to us what's the roi of that linkedin post from two weeks ago that we posted on tuesday morning is nonsensical what you need to rather ask is, is this accumulation of things, this channel, this program that we're running, helping us occupy Mindspace and our prospects so that we educate them and build trust and credibility with them long before the buying trigger happens that they need to go ahead and purchase a service or product? And are we out there controlling the narrative about who we are and what we do and what our product does and how we're different from all the alternatives and competitors on the market? Right. And so it's an accumulation of things that we need to uh, understand programs on and not, you know,
1: the ROI of a single LinkedIn post. I guess none of the customers buying from BMW walk into the store and be like, oh, by the way, I saw that billboard ad. So that's why I converted. Right. (laughs) Yeah. But for your content, you, as you said in the beginning, like ideally you would want that. But is there a way to somewhat get closer to that to to know that your social media efforts are working and paying off?
0: yeah i mean i want to say one thing to that i think it's exactly right like no one walks into a bmw car deal and it's like i saw this like one billboard that you were running there and here i am paying thirty thousand bucks on a car just as a b2b solution like no one's going to purchase your enterprise software because they saw like this one linkedin post even if it was amazing what they're actually going to tell you is i've been seeing your ads everywhere I love the brand. I love the product. I love how you guys focus on the engineering aspects. I love the design. You know, I've been following BMW since forever. My dad was a BMW driver and now like I got a new job, I'm making more money. So I've always dreamed about getting a BMW and here I am buying one. I know this for our customers, right? Like we sell a service that's, you know, 30 K now we're kind of in the 60 K range. And so, like, I get people who say, "Yeah, I've been following you for six months on LinkedIn. Like, really love the content that you put out. You know, I've been i been seeing you out there. You know, some. So it's it's again the accumulation of things because that's what builds the credibility, the trust, the authority, the everything. Now, you know, to actually know what worked, right? You and You can do self-reported attribution so you just ask people how did they hear about us and they will tell you things like oh i've been following on linkedin for six months oh like i saw this post which got me curious and then i kind of went down the rabbit hole i i binged listened to a bunch of your podcast episodes etc right so there might be a trigger That then it's again an accumulation. So there's just the qualitative, just asking people. You know, how did they hear about you?
1: Let's talk about how restaurants like Olive Garden are approaching their way to marketing, how they're treating their prospects, um, and how you know we're as we're in B two B marketing should maybe look at that and learn from it. So we
0: kind of just picked Olive Garden as an example of a restaurant. I think same applies to all restaurants. But when we think about how does a restaurant do marketing, the number one step is. To make people aware that you exist, right? People need to know that there's now a new Georgian restaurant or a Chinese restaurant in the neighborhood, because if they're if they don't know, no one can come, right? And so that might either just be you know storefront, like you just wait for people to walk by, or you might run some like billboard ads or flyers or Instagram ads that are very localized to let people know that you exist. And then what do they do? They provide all kinds of information online so that people can make an independent decision on whether they want to eat there. So they upload their menu so you can already check out what are the different meals and dishes that they have. They have prices so you can get an idea of like what you would be paying for a dinner. They have pictures of the food so you can get an idea of what the steak or whatever they're going to sell looks like. They have pictures of the inside and outside of the restaurant. So you can get an idea of the vibe and the feeling and the ambience of the place. And then they have, hopefully, if they've, you know, been around for a couple of days or a couple of weeks, they have customer reviews. They have actual people who ate actual food there tell and say what they thought about it, how, how it was. And then they wait people to just show up, right? They, they wait for people to walk in the door and say, hey, I would, I would like to sit down and have a meal. Or to call them up and say hey i i saw you guys i I would like to book a table for four for next thursday what do b2b companies do they make people aware that they exist then they intentionally don't put out all the information that people need to make an informed buying decision they don't put out their pricing they might not really have any reviews or customers case studies ideally they have some of them Oftentimes they're like anonymized testimonials with like VP at a you know financial services company and like no one can validate whether that's a real person. It's often hard to figure out like exactly what they sell uh, or how they package it because they want people to book a demo and have a call with their salespeople because they want the salespeople to first prove value before they show price, right? And they do put out all kinds of information and then they collect intent data and do outbound based on that, right? So like if we think about the... If we think about the restaurant, this is like the equivalent of you know, the restaurant putting up you know, their menu and their price list and you know, pictures of their ambience and what it looks like inside. And then they track who opens the menu or who downloads the menu. And then when they get someone to download their menu, it triggers intent data for them, where you know, they're now oh, this person has intent. And then it starts a sequence for an SDR to start reaching out to that person. Imagine how annoying that we'd be, would be for a restaurant. Imagine you would just like go on Google Maps, look at the menu, and then like two minutes later, a like person calls you and they said, Hey, saw so you just downloaded our menu. How about we set a time for you next week at 6 p.m.? How does that sound to you? You're like, uh, who are you? And you're like, you're that restaurant. You're, just, you're like, I just looked at 10 different restaurants. Like, I don't even know which one you are. And no, like, I don't want to book a time for next Thursday at 6 p.m. That's just random you know, and then they send you emails and another email and they're like, hey, we saw that you were interested in our menu and our food menu. Here's our drink menu. It, it just would be annoying. Why? Because you're not stupid. You know how to show up and go to a restaurant or call them up to reserve a table if you so want to. The fact that you haven't called them up or haven't shown up there means that you ac- either decided you're not interested or it's just not the right time right now because. You know, you're trying to make a decision on where you're going to have your wedding dinner and it's in 12 months. And so you're just like starting to scope out initial solutions. I think B2B companies can learn a lot, a lot from the common sense restaurants approach, which is that you should p- make people aware that you exist. That's very important. That's one of the core jobs that marketing should do. And then you should provide all the information that your buyers want to know about to be able to make an informed buying decision, which means you have content around your pricing and your packages as how it works and how it works. You have content around case studies and customer success stories with actual people in there, ideally videos that pe- people can validate with real people who have a real LinkedIn profile, or you have a G2 you know page where people can see real reviews from real people. You have content that uh, explains how your product works and how the onboarding works and who they will be working with and how long onboarding takes and what the experience is so that they can make an informed decision. And then yes, we're talking b two b so it's complex solutions. so you will not be able to communicate every little detail, and that's fine. That's why then eventually people can show up to your website and book a call with your salespeople because again, b two b buyers are not stupid. If they want to get some information from you as a company, or they want to talk to you because they're actually interested in purchasing a product or service, they know fair well how to get in touch with you. Unless as you make it super hot. There should be like a book a call or, you know, request demo button on your website. There should be an email somewhere that they can email. There should be a LinkedIn profile that they can message. They can pick their most preferred method and everyone has their difference. Instead of making it hard for people to make a buying decision because you want to force them into a sales conversation. And then when you get any kind of intent data because they downloaded one of your eBooks or your checklist or went to your pricing page once, that you now start blasting them with outbound activity, cold calls and cold emails, trying to force them into a meeting. I think it just turns people off, right? I mean, imagine that restaurant, like, sorry, but I'm definitely not going to your restaurant anymore, if that's your approach. I don't think all outbound activity is bad, right? Like what I just said almost makes it seem like all outbound is bad. But I think there is a way to do it that's actually customer centric. When we think about the restaurant, right? We look at the menu on Google Maps or whatever. We read some reviews. No one calls us up because we can just show up. But what if someone calls you up from the restaurant and they said, hey, I just saw that you looked at our Google Maps page or you looked at our menu. Is there any questions, anything I can help you with? And you're like, oh, No, thank you. Actually, no, I'm good. And they're like, okay, just wanted to make sure you have a good day. Bye. Or you say, yeah, actually, we're thinking about like potentially using you guys as our wedding uh, venue. Do you guys do weddings? You know, I didn't see any information about that. Have you done any weddings? And you can be like, yeah, definitely. We had one last week, right? Now that's different to calling them up and saying, hey, you downloaded our menu. How about we book a table for you tomorrow at 6 p.m.? And then you're like, no, thank you. And then they're like, well, how about next week Tuesday at 5 p.m.? It's like, also no, thank you. All right, I'll be calling you up in, an, in a week to see where you're at at that point, right? That is a completely different energy. I just, um, I just trialed a, a product. It's called Reveal. It's, uh, it's like a software product that you can use for tracking partnerships. And I signed up for that like free trial on the website, filled in my information And like one minute later, I get a LinkedIn connection request from one of their account executives connecting with me. And I actually write her and I'm like, wow, that was fast. And she was like, yeah, just wanted to connect. By the way, I'm here. If you have any questions about our product, feel free to message me. That's awesome, right? Because I'm not, I don't feel like I'm being forced into anything. She's just there. I now have a contact that if I'm like, hey, don't find this feature, how do I like upload my list? Like I have someone to go to. But she's not intrusive like she's not on my ass following up every two days with a sequence and then forcing completely different so i don't think all outbound is bad i think there's a right way to do it that's customer centric and you just meet people where they are rather than where you want them to be
1: so you've been to a shoe store you had an experience there um what can we learn from that experience about who should lead your marketing efforts
0: so there's a there's a shoe store here in Berlin. I should know the name now that I'm giving them pluck. I I literally don't know the name. I can find it. Um, And you walk into the shoe store and the person, it's like a super small one. It's, you know, not, not one of these commercial ones. They do like handcrafted shoes. And it's the owner of the store in there selling the shoes, the person who owns the place and who designs the shoes themselves. Most commercial shoe stores, when you walk in, you have a salesperson there. Right. And so they might ask you, hey, can I help you? What are you looking for? Boots, sneakers, you know, Adidas, Nike, like, what are you looking for? And then they want to know your shoe size. And they're going to tell you, oh, this sole is like super soft and like this, you know, got a 20% discount is like everyone wants it. We have it super cheap right now. They're going to sell you on features and pricing with that shoe store that I went to that didn't even like happen at all. First of all, he engaged me in a conversation. Then he told me about like what he's doing here why he started this store. I figured out that he actually travels to Italy multiple times a year to meet with, uh, I don't know, vendors or whatever, because he designs the shoes. And then he has people in Italy who produce the shoes, who actually hand make the shoes in Italy with Italian leather. So he travels there, you know, multiple times a year. And then when it comes to the shoes, he he has a story about every shoe, right? He's not going to be like, do you want like Brown, black, he's just like this shoe, like this is inspired by a so-and-so classic Milan type of thing that I saw here and there. And I wanted to add my own touch. Like I made this little tweak here because I feel like it's gonna so-and-so whatever, like, you know, and then he's like, I used this leather that I sourced from this particular producer in Italy uh they have this very special method of uh, of working with the leather and that's why you can see this you know uh this certain pattern on it it comes from the fact that they did everything right and first of all it's just so much more fun and interesting to be in that shoe store because you're gonna have a fun conversation that's engaging you, you're connecting with another person you're learning about things that you never learned about and turns out it just makes you much more likely to buy the shoe because now suddenly it's not a commodity you feel like There is a reason behind, thought went into it. You know, the story behind the product from the person who designed it, work with the people who created it, owns the company. And so, yeah, obviously he can charge much higher prices, but it's just much more likely that I'm going to buy a shoe there. And so, you know, when we think about marketing, especially for B2B companies, like who is the, who's the shoe store owner? It's the founder. It's the person who started the company. And they have amazing stories to tell around why they started the company, how they started the company, what gap they saw in the market, why they created the product or service in this way, what thought went behind it, what trade-offs they made, what philosophy and approach they have to this. And it's unique to them. And it's the story that you want to get out and tell, because that's going to pull people in and makes it much more likely for people to purchase. But what most B2B companies do when it comes to their marketing, the founder is not involved. The CEO might be involved in sales, Sales, they might be you know, getting involved in deals, they might be involved in product, they might be involved in HR and hiring, they might be a technical person, CTO, involved in actually building the product. But very rarely you find a founder who they themselves get their hands dirty and get involved in the marketing. It's usually a content writer, a content marketer, an SEO specialist who creates the content. And so it's gonna be generic, it's gonna be surface level, it's gonna be impersonal, there's not gonna be any story. It's gonna be selling me on the features and the price rather than the story and the reason and the philosophy and the pro- approach behind it. And so I think B2B companies can learn a lot from that. And I think a lot of the great B2B companies actually use this approach. I mean, we did our last podcast was exactly around, you know, Saster, FounderPath, Labs. They're all examples of companies using founder led marketing where they have a founder out there evangelizing their brand and their product and what they do and how they do it educating people sharing expertise and insights you know they don't do everything obviously they have a team that supports them on the back end they're not uploading every video to youtube themselves and and cutting up the podcast themselves right they have a team for that but it's their voice out there it's their insights it's their stories it's their you know, that personal touch that they can imbue on things. And then they have people who can support them, like chop it up and edit it and format it and and distribute it and upload it and all this like nitty gritty stuff. But it's them pushing that narrative. And I think it just hits very differently.
1: Yeah, I think especially if you think about the shoe store, right? Let's say like the business is, is working like super good and he opens like several shoe stores in Berlin or maybe, you know, like one in Hamburg and one in New York or whatever. Like he can't be there, in every store talking to every customer and therefore i guess once you once you grow it makes a lot of sense to you know go to the next stage from what he was basically doing was founder that sales right into founder led marketing to scale that message so a lot more customers or prospects can actually see and hear the story
0: yeah that's actually no that's a great example because in this case with the shoe store it's actually founder that sales right it's the shoe maker in the in the store selling the shoes. And a lot of companies start out in that way. Right? Fundled at sales is an established kind of thing that people should be doing. And eventually, you know, if the shoemaker is successful and he opens up two, three, four, five more stores, maybe even in different cities, suddenly they realize that, oh damn, I can't be in there selling the shoes myself. So they hire salespeople. And then suddenly they completely remove themselves from the communication. Same thing in B2B, like you might have a founder who does founder that sales, and then eventually they scale and they realize they can't be involved in every deal themselves anymore. And so they hire a sales team, they hire a VP of sales and they you know remove themselves from that whole process. And then suddenly you realize that you know sales performance drops massively because now suddenly you don't have that gravitas, you don't have that authority, you don't have those stories. Anymore trying to sell. You have salespeople, you have SDRs and AEs trying to sell your product. Who are going to sell on pricing and features. Now that's worth it if you scale far enough because maybe they don't close at thirty-three percent like you did as the founder, and they only close at fifteen percent. But you know you have six of them, you have twenty of them, so it's still worthwhile, right? But I think that what what you should be doing is to scale yourself as the founder, right? You cannot get involved in every deal, but you can provide a lot of air cover to your sales team by duplicating yourself through marketing which is essentially scaled messaging right it's it's a video it's a podcast it's a blog post all of that is scaled right because you can record that podcast once you can record that video once and then it can be seen and watched and consumed and distributed hundreds thousands of times right and so instead of going from founder that sales to completely removing yourself re- transitioning from founder that sales into founder that marketing is a scaled approach. When you now have salespeople in your shoe store selling those shoes, but maybe there's quotes of you, or maybe there's a little booklet that you wrote around why you started this shoe store, or maybe there's like underneath every shoe, there's like a little write-up that you created yourself that you wrote up around why you created the shoe and what the inspiration was so that then your salespeople in these five different locations can leverage that content. And say, yeah, here's the story, by the way, our founder wrote it up where he explains why he created the shoe and, and the inspiration behind it. And the, the founding story, by the way, blah, 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 blah. And then, I mean, a shoe store is a little weird, but maybe there's like a little video clips or, you know, something like that where you're meeting with with producers and you're telling that story. And that way you can scale yourself, but at the same time, keep sales productivity high Because you can still imbue that story, authority, credibility, gravitas, and that story into every
1: sales conversation. What are the three learnings we get from BMW, Olive Garden, and uh, the shoe store? BMW, it's a lesson on attribution. right?
0: Understanding that high-priced products are not impulse decision. There's a long consideration cycle that happens. So it's nonsensical to ask, did that one LinkedIn post, did that one podcast episode, did that one blog post convert someone to buy our 50K ACV software product? And rather to understand on a program channel level that it's about occupying mind space so that, that we're top of mind with prospects before they get into the buying cycle and to understand the importance of Controlling the narrative around our product and who we are and what we do and what we stand for, rather than waiting for people to, to make that decision themselves. Olive Garden or Restaurant, it's around allowing the buyer to, to follow their own, meeting the buyer where they are rather than where, where we want them to be. To make them aware that we exist, that's very important. That's what a core thing that marketing should be doing. And then to enable them to make an informed buying decision by providing them with information around who we are what we do why we created this the pricing our product features the benefits case studies testimonials all of that out there transparently so they can consume it and inform them and then make it easy for them to get in touch with us right to not have some form on the website that you need to fill out and then it takes like three days for an SDR to reach out to you no it should be there should be calendar booking page where you can Pick a time today on that company's calendar if you want to, if you do want to do that. And then for the shoe store, it's to to understand the importance of founder-led marketing, to understand the importance of storytelling when it comes to selling products, and to find out a way to scale beyond founder-led sales and to imbue that story into your messaging and marketing, and don't just have your content writers and SEO specialists create all your content. Cool. Thank you for thank you for joining uh, Jacob. We're doing this every week, uh, not necessarily always on on LinkedIn audio. Sometimes it's a LinkedIn live, but we we also do it on on the on like a video call. So um, we're doing this every week at the same time. Um, cool. All right. Enjoy the enjoy the rest of your uh, you're in Poland. So evening. All right. I'm going to end this, I'm going to end this here and for all and for all.